Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Marissa Charles and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Marissa Charles. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marissa Charles, who is a doctor of osteopathy, and we're delighted to co-host this show with her. We've been doing this together, God, for a lot of weeks now. Yeah, I think we're getting close to a year, Ron. Yeah, you do a super job. Well, thanks. So uh, don't bail out on us. <laughs> I want to keep getting you in here. Now, the topic today, as I mentioned to our guest off the air, we don't talk a lot about rheumatology. Rheumatology, it's very important. And so we're super happy to have a rheumatologist come on the podcast and talk to us. Well, we're going to welcome Dr. Emily Isaacs. She's with USMD in Fort Worth, Clear Fork. And uh, we're delighted to welcome you, Dr. Isaacs, a rheumatologist who feels fortunate, she says, to help patients with a variety of rheumatic conditions, including inflammatory arthritis, tendonitis, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, and a bunch of stuff. She has practiced in the Fort Worth area for more than 35 years, recently earned her master's designation from the American College of Rheumatology, which is very, very significant. Congratulations on that, Dr. Isaacs, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, This is a subject that's near and dear to my heart, so I'm looking forward to having a conversation today. Well, let's start with the uh, 411. People hear the term uh, rheumatology, but I think most folks, if they don't have the need for rheumatologists, don't know what you all really do. What is a rheumatologist? Well, the rheumatology field covers actually a vast array of illnesses. So starting with arthritis, which most people have heard of, arthritis, soft tissue rheumatism, which uh, our grandmothers or an older generation would have called rheumatism. That includes the tendonitis and bursitis, spondylitis, the arthritis of the spine, and in addition to all the arthritis we take care of, autoimmune diseases. And the autoimmune diseases encompass lupus, Sjogren's syndrome, and rheumatoid arthritis is actually uh, has, um, I guess, feet in both, in both pockets. It, has, it is a form of arthritis, but it's also an immune disorder. So autoimmune diseases are the diseases where the immune system is out of balance and creates a state of inflammation. So the inflammation can affect the skin, the joints, the brain, the heart, the lungs, uh, across the board. These are systemic diseases. They affect the whole body. What attracted you to the field? You know, it's interesting because uh, many doctors, if you ask what brought them into a field, they'll say it was somebody who mentored them. And when I was a medical resident in internal medicine, I spent a rotation in rheumatology, and it was a good fit. I enjoyed the fact that we have a long-term relationship with patients. A lot of it is a combination of listening to patients, what they're telling us about their pain and stiffness, and create uh, working with the patient to create a solution, a plan that typically includes not just medications, medications, exercise, good diet, lifestyle changes. So it's, um, it's been a good fit for me. And of the patients you see, uh, although in your current practice, Uh, I suspect you see a lot of older folks. I've got a good friend whose daughter has rheumatoid arthritis and and started getting treatment when uh, she was uh, just, you know, 10, 11 years old. 
That's exactly right. So the these diseases can affect um, infants and on up. So we could see a patient. I don't do juvenile arthritis now because we have a subset of rheumatologists that are pediatric specialists, but they certainly are seeing patients at every age range. And then usually they transfer over to adult rheumatologists at age 18. But I can see a patient who has onset of inflammatory arthritis at 18, at 28, at 38, at 88. So there's not one age. There's ages that we expect to see peaks um, in the uh, expression of these types of diseases, but there's never an age that's excluded. Um, And one of the important things to note is that we all get some form of aging arthritis, which is called osteoarthritis. That's the wear and tear type of arthritis. But when you're talking about the inflammatory immune-mediated arthritis, the more systemic, that can occur and often does occur in younger ages. Yeah, my friend's uh, daughter has really struggled. They'll hit on a treatment, it works for a while, and then it doesn't work, and they find another treatment. And uh, Dr. Charles was telling me off the air that uh, there are newer and newer treatments coming online for RA. Well, the, the changing... Uh, pattern of how we treat arthritis is really my my career duration has encompassed some of this so that when I was in training it was kind of like we didn't have very many options and we waited till the arthritis was very established before we initiated therapy. Now with what we know and with the tools we have it's much more get in there quickly and put it in remission which is a goal it's a very realistic goal if we can catch people early And so we have many new targeted therapies. And that's the term we use, targeted, because the um, advances in the last 20 years have been vast. We have um, medications that go after the, um, they're called cytokines, and um, some of you may have heard of those words now in the whole COVID conversation. Cytokines are the proteins that communicate between immune cells. And so if we can target certain cytokines, we can settle down the inflammation. And that's our goal, to settle it down, to bring the immune system back in balance. And by doing that, we reduce the uh, typical signs of inflammation, which is joint swelling, pain, and stiffness. Um, And also, with targeted therapy, we have the goal of stopping joint damage. And if we can stop joint damage, we can avoid uh, deformities and disability. So there's a much more of a, um, emphasis on diagnosing people early and initiating the appropriate therapy early with the goal of stopping joint damage. If you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio. Our special guest, Dr. Emily Isaacs, a rheumatologist at the USMD in Fort Worth Clear Fork Clinic. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Marissa Charles, and we're delighted to have you with us. When you think about... Uh, RA, and, and you mentioned deformity in joints. I, I, I often have seen pictures of people whose fingers are grossly uh, out of proportion or uh, frozen in a really strange pattern. Uh, is it the RA that may be causing that? Absolutely. So the, the whole family of inflammatory arthritis has the potential with the inflammation to chew away at the joint. And the joint swelling distorts the joint capsule, so you start developing deformities. And um, in years past, these could be quite advanced, and it could affect especially the wrist, the fingers, the toes, but then it would move to involve the shoulders, elbows, ankles, and certainly affect function. Now, as I said, in the new era of these targeted therapies, sometimes referred to as biologic 
medications, biologic disease-modifying medications, we have data and experience that these medications can stop the joint damage, especially if we catch it early, and that by stopping the joint damage and decreasing the swelling, we don't see that distortion of the joint. And if you talk to a hand surgeon now who's been practicing for 30 years, or even the young hand surgeons, they do not see those typical RA deformities that were so common 30 years ago. That's a good thing. It's an excellent thing. So so Dr. Isaacs, hi, it's Dr. Charles. Um, I was going to ask, we have so many patients that present with joint pain, with arthritis, um, and often they have a hard time differentiating or knowing the difference between rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, and those words get confusing for them. What are some things that you look for that would make you more suspicious that a patient has rheumatoid arthritis versus osteoarthritis? Okay, I'm so glad you asked that because this is really what we spend our days doing, trying to differentiate and categorize people who come in with joint pain so we understand which category they fit in. And I want to step back and say that the inflammatory arthritis, we call it systemic inflammation. So again, an imbalance of the immune system. And with osteoarthritis, the inflammation is more localized. So it's in the joint that's inflamed. And then those patients, all patients will respond to some medication if we can find the right uh, treatment to reduce the inflammation that's causing that pain. Um, The uh, factors of a systemic inflammation is patients will often feel sick. They'll be tired. They'll have more fatigue, more stiffness. Um, Those patients actually tend to feel better when they're moving. They are more stiff when they're sit when they're sitting. They get uncomfortable, and they feel better if they're moving. A rheumatoid arthritis tends to be symmetrical. Osteoarthritis is the wear and tear arthritis that we get. Can be triggered by injury or just aging, just overuse uh, as we get older. And this can be these people actually feel better. Tend to feel better if they're sitting and they're resting. If they've overdone, they feel worse. It doesn't necessarily uh, become uh, symmetrical. And then one of the things that it's very helpful for a rheumatologist to, when they're assessing a patient, is which joints are involved. So we look at the pattern of joints. And in the hands, you can certainly have osteoarthritis that will mimic rheumatoid arthritis, but the degree of swelling and inflammation is not as pronounced. So the joints may be enlarged, but it's actually bone spurs that are developing, mm-hmm. and that creates this uh, deformity and stiffness. Right now, we don't have great treatments for osteoarthritis other than combination of joint protection, good healthy living, being the right weight, exercise. Um, We don't have the major medications that we have for rheumatoid arthritis, but that will come. I mean, there's certainly ongoing research looking for ways to intervene to stop that joint damage. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I ended up uh, with knee replacement surgery on a knee where uh, uh, all of the uh, protection between the two joints was gone. It was bone on bone, which uh, really hurt. Yeah, bone on bone. There's no, The cartilage is there for a very good reason. It's our shock absorber. Right. Mm-hmm. When, the, when the cartilage starts to wear, the bone is not um, developed to actually take that normal day-to-day activity. And so it'll be interesting as we, uh, we talk about the baby boomers all who have been exercising a lot, which is a good thing, but some of them maybe have overdone and we'll start to see um, the orthopedic surgeons are quite busy doing hip and knee replacements as people get older. Um, exercise is critical to maintain muscle strength, but obviously if one overdoes, there's more of a chance a joint can be damaged. 
Now, uh, we're going to come right back to you, but I want to talk a little bit about lupus, which is on uh, your list. It's one of those diseases that for a long time people who knew they had a problem didn't know what they had. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Marissa Charles. We're talking with Emily Isaacs, a physician with USMD up at Fort Worth, Clear Fork. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. That takes me back to the 1960s and Buddy Holly, uh, the day the music died. I'm Ron Aaron, <laughs> along with Dr. Marissa Charles, our co-host. With us on our Wellman Radio Hotline, Dr. Emily Isaacs, who is with USMD Fort Worth Clear Fork. And we've been talking about uh, her work as a rheumatologist. And I was curious, on your list uh, is uh, lupus, among a number of other uh, issues. Uh, talk to me about lupus, because folks... Uh, for a period of time, had a tough time getting that diagnosed. Well, that's exactly right. So lupus falls in the family of what we call connective tissue diseases. And this is, again, an autoimmune disease that the immune system is out of balance and it creates inflammation. And one of the reasons there's a challenge in diagnosing lupus is that it can affect so many different parts of the body. So the common lupus uh, characteristics are fatigue, rash, joint pain or muscle pain, it can get into the kidneys. It, it um, can cause blood abnormalities. So you can see it can present in so many different ways that that may be a challenge. Now, I think it's much um, easier to zero in on the diagnosis of lupus now as the lab testing is more sophisticated. We have blood tests that we look at in the um, uh, that any family physician can order. Um, and the initial screening test is called an ANA, which is called anti-nuclear antibody. And it's a marker for this immune imbalance. Now, I will say, as I uh, introduce that term, many women will carry a positive ANA without having lupus. So we have to look for other markers of inflammation, and we can do that with the blood count and inflammatory markers in the lab to see if this is causing, back to that word, systemic inflammation. If the immune system's out of balance, it's creating inflammation. And as I said, with rheumatoid, it's primarily the joints, although other tissues can be involved. But in lupus, it could be the skin, the joints, the muscles. And so uh, in a, it's often younger women, but it can affect men and it can affect anybody at any age. So when somebody presents with uh, symptoms of inflammation, we will often screen with that, with that ANA. And then if it's positive, go down uh, further testing to help assess. Now, are there treatments? Yes, there's been treatments all along, but the treatments keep getting better and, again, more targeted. 
So we, um, our goal, of course, is to stop the inflammation from causing tissue damage. And we have to balance the treatment to how severe the disease is. So if somebody has very active inflammation, they will require more aggressive medical therapy. Some people may have to even go in the hospital to get medication. But then um, other patients that have a low-grade lupus would require less medicine. So it's a, a initially making the diagnosis, assessing what is going on in the patient, how much inflammation, and then finding the right targeted treatment. And so there are many... Um, older medicines we're using, and then newer medications that have been approved that can be administered either through an infusion or the patient takes an injection at home, and that helps settle down that immune system that's causing the um, tissue damage. Uh, And so uh, a rheumatologist might work along with the dermatologist, might work along with the nephrologist, the kidney specialist, uh, along with a cardiologist, so that because these diseases can affect every part of the body, we want to make sure we have it, the inflammation under control in all these different organ systems to prevent uh, tissue damage and let the patient resume normal lifestyle. You mentioned the, the skin manifestations and rashes. What are some of the rashes that you might expect to see or might make you more suspicious for lupus? So there's um, lupus. Uh, the classic picture of lupus is the woman with the redness on her cheeks to what we call the malar rash. So it's a rash on the face. But some people will have scattered lesions that are and can be anywhere and also hair loss, thinning of the hair, which again is a common complaint, but that would be uh, typical to have the rash in the scalp so the patient's losing their hair. And, and this would be affecting a young woman beyond what you would expect just from normal. Um, so the malar rash is the rash on the cheeks. The hair loss is called alopecia. And the discoid lesions are more raised lesions that can cause scarring. Um, women with these connective tissue diseases are also uh, at risk for a condition called Raynaud's. Raynaud's is when the fingers turn white or blue when they're cold. And this can be um, occur independent of lupus, but is often associated with lupus. So the fingers will go numb and turn kind of a, a dusky blue or a pale white when they get cold as those blood vessels go into spasm. Again, we can treat this many times with uh, medication and lifestyle adjustments. As you can imagine, um, and I'll throw this in, but I'm sure this is true for most anyone, uh, any uh, illnesses you're talking about, smoking is bad for these inflammatory diseases, but we try to get all our patients not to smoke. Um, That can promote autoimmunity, uh, and of course it's bad for circulation. Great advice. Absolutely. I was going to ask a little bit more about, you know, is there anything that people can do to reduce risk of developing these inflammatory conditions? That truly is a million-dollar question. And it's interesting because, um, you know, it comes back to, I always say, what your grandmother told you. You know, don't get too stressed, uh, managing anxiety, getting enough rest, eating healthy. Eat more broccoli. Eat more broccoli. Which, you know, managing stress in the and time exercise. of COVID. Exercise right? is, yeah, exercise remains a good means of maintaining control over stress. Um, we, the American College of Rheumatology has an annual meeting, uh, and it was virtual this year, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be in Washington, D.C. 16,000 people from around the world sign up for this meeting, and data is presented. And I was thinking in preparation for this, the question people always want to know about is diet. And, of course, um, we've had a hard time getting scientific data for diet, and it still looks like 
the best advice is a good, healthy diet, um, staying away from sweets and um, eating more vegetables. But I would like to share that we are seeing more and better science trying to dive into this question further. And I, I don't have a, a miracle diet to share with you today, but I feel like the data is getting, the science is getting better. We'll, we'll know more. In this age of COVID-19, uh, with the numbers going through the roof, talk about stress. Are you seeing an increase in the patients that you're seeing as a rheumatologist? I would say patients who are under the care of a rheumatologist by, uh, for the most part, are pretty motivated to take good care of themselves. So my patients are trying, I mean, I think everybody is stressed about COVID and hard not to be. Right. But um, the uh, recommendations about social distancing, wearing a mask, hand washing, my patients are really trying to be um, very good about this. Many of them are on medications that do suppress the immune system. So they have an extra incentive to be uh, um, safeguarding themselves and their families. And, and that's the best we can recommend. We're trying to give them support so that they don't get stressed and guidance. Um, and if they can work from home, of course, that's the preferable option. And what about telemedicine in that mix? Well, we have done more telemedicine. And... Um, you know, I have a little series. I feel like uh, my exercise class where I make patients move their extremities in different ways to give me a sense of how they're moving. It's not the same as palpating a joint, but it's actually worked pretty well. Um, patients are able, you know, we, we have a nice conversation. We can They can tell me what's on their mind. I can ask them questions about how they're functioning and, and what's hurting. And then we do the exam through the, the visual uh, and uh, I think um, telemedicine's here to stay. I think so, too. I think you're right, Dr. Isaacs. Um, and there really are a lot of things that you can do through the telemedicine, um, you know, through the devices. As long as there's a good connection, you know, there's really quite a bit that you can do. Depends on Wi-Fi in their houses. I know. We have struggles with Which is with a challenge. That. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's been the challenge, absolutely. That you're, that's been our challenge. And so, um, but you know, even, and this is again an advantage of having been in practice for a long time, the patients I know very well, I can do a telephone visit. And you know, you can sometimes assess how they're feeling just how their voice is when you're communicating. Not perfect, but it, you know, in this day of COVID, we're all adapting. Absolutely. And it is about listening, you know, and, and seeing, right. how, you know, people are adjusting, so. We've got about two minutes left. What haven't we asked you that you'd like to talk about? Because before we started, you said to me, rheumatologists love to talk. Well, I think I'd like to share with the audience is really the things you can do to um, help protect your joints. And we focused on uh, eating a healthy diet, not smoking, exercise, exercise within reason. You know, walking two miles is good. You don't have to walk 10 miles. You want to just be able to exercise 30 minutes and not overdo wearing proper footwear uh, to give your feet support. And then we uh, talk about adaptive aids. You know, I want people to function at their best. So using a jar opener or the proper tools in the garden so that you're not putting stress across the thumb when you're opening something or pulling weeds. So the goal really is uh, living with arthritis. And you, you would be amazed if you sat in my waiting room and some of the patients who do have deformities that have developed sitting there knitting or sewing. I mean, people learn to adapt. 
and our goal is really control the pain, control the inflammation, and let patients live their life to the fullest. What about new medications and maybe coming along? You had mentioned infusion and uh, home injections. What, what are those? So these new medications are, uh, again, we call them targeted therapy. And they're really just so fascinating because they're going after the proteins that stimulate the immune system to overreact. So we want to bring the immune system into balance. And there's a whole other, new, the newest family are called JAK kinase inhibitors, and they're actually pills. So patients may like that option because now we have these uh, um, oral agents that are just pills that you take. Again, all these medicines have, uh, they're potent, and they need to be given under the uh, guidance of somebody who's familiar with them because they affect the entire body. But they have the goal of bringing that immune signaling into balance so the inflammation settles down and that stops the joint damage. And when patients respond, the fatigue gets better, the stiffness gets better, the swelling gets better. And so um, with the onset of this new era started in 1998. With the first of the uh, biologics was Embril, which is a TNF inhibitor. I'll tell you and what, we're going to we're gonna have to stop you right there and, and okay. pick this up another time. We are flat out of time. Uh, Dr. Isaacs, you're a great guest. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. You take care. Emily Isaacs Bye-bye. with USMD Fort Worth, Clear Fork, I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Marissa Charles. We'll talk with you soon on WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.